You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. There's been a pandemic. There have been protests. Sometimes it's hard to even remember what the world was like before now. And yet the gospel is still good news. And heaven still rejoices over the number one. To make Jesus known, we each have to start with one lost person. Think about it. If I were to ask you who's your one, would you have an answer? I know it's hard. Your one might be someone hiding in plain sight. And sometimes, let me tell you about Jesus, just doesn't feel like the most natural way to have a conversation. But we're in this together. Tens of thousands of believers have found their one. And you can learn from them. Listen, everyone is talking about how the world has changed. But one person sharing Christ with one other person, that is real change. And it comes when you answer the question, who's your one? Good morning and welcome to Southridge. It is great to see each and every one of you this morning. Looking forward to a great fall. I think there are some great things in store for not only you, but also our church family. God is on the move in this place, and we're glad that you are here, and we're grateful that you are here. And we hope you are encouraged and blessed, not only by the message, but just getting to meet some people and fellowship together. And we're going to invite you to stay afterward. We've got apple pie and pumpkin pie for you on the way out, and some uh, pumpkin spice latte. So please don't miss out on some uh, treats afterward. And then I also want to let you know, if you are a parent of a child that is fifth grade through 12th grade, last Thursday evening, we kicked off our youth group, and there's a youth group that meets, and we had a great time together. I'm going to encourage you uh, this week to attend. If you have a, a child that's fifth grade through 12th grade, we have a youth group. I think right now, it is, it is so hard for the young people, what they're being influenced by and challenged by. It's so important that our young people get plugged into some godly community that is age-appropriate to help them combat everything that's going on around them. And uh, I don't mean to get political, but when a governor signs that an 11-year-old can take puberty blockers, an 11-year-old can have a, uh, an abortion without a parent or a guardian's consent, our children need a good youth group to help combat them. They need that. They need to be in a good environment. So parents... I'm just trying to help you. I'm there. We've got four other workers that are there. We have a great time. So thank you, parents, for making the investment. And uh, we're just going to have a great time together. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you go to the book of John, chapter number 4? John, chapter number 4. I want, through this series, to turn our church inside out. You say, what do you mean, turn the church inside out? Too often, a church can be insider-focused. It's great that we have Bible studies. It's great that we have worship music that you might appreciate or that you resonate with. It's great that we might have a life group that might fit your age or or your stage. It's great that we might have some coffee that was literally roasted two days ago and brought in fresh because we don't get you Folgers. Nothing against your classic Folgers, but just know that we have a custom roaster that makes our coffee. And you can't get our coffee anywhere else but at Southridge because we uh, tested our own very special blend, you know. And that's great that we have that, but that is not enough to change the world. And the church has to be turned inside out because the church is a body that gathers to scatter. It's why we gather. We gather to scatter. And if you want to take notes on your seat, there is a place to take notes, or you can download the church app and you can take notes on the app because I believe this series is going to be so important to the future of our church and, and to the future of California. It's so important what we're talking about. Not just the future of our church, but the future of California. Because the church has to, once again, be outward focused in evangelism. And whether you call it evangelism, soul winning, fishing for men, witnessing, I want you to know it's not a calling. And many times people will say, I'm just not called to evangelize or witness. It's not a calling. 
It's a command. We are not called to witness. We're commanded to witness. We are commanded to take our light and to shine it in a dark world. And that should be easier as the world gets darker. The community of faith should shine brighter. We are called in Matthew 5 to be a city that is set upon a hill. And we should be able to be easily spotted. But nowadays, it's getting harder and harder to find a church that is shining bright. Although we have over 1,800 churches in San Jose, it's hard to find one that will tell people that repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ, your Savior. It's real easy to just say a little prayer, yes, Jesus, and I accept you, and that's it. But that's not total salvation. And through this next five weeks we want to spend together, I want to challenge our church because the mission of our church is leading people to find and follow Jesus. But what does that really mean exactly? It's a nice little slogan. I mean, it looks good, and if we, when we own our building, when it's all built over there down the street, then we're going to have that on some big wall, probably on the outside of the building, leading people to find and follow Jesus. It's great, but what does that mean exactly? It's great that that's a little slogan, but understand this. It doesn't matter what's on the wall. It matters what's in the hall. Let me break it down. It matters what you and I actually do with that slogan. That's what matters. That you and I, that we are taking our faith and we're turning it inside out. That we're saying, I'm going to take what I have, which changed my life, which changes my marriage and my relationships and who I am as a person. And I'm going to take this, this powerful thing that is called Jesus Christ who lives inside of me, who changes me, changes my desires, changes who I am for the better. And I'm going to make sure other people know about that. That's the most important thing. Several years ago, actually several, two years ago, Pastor Missal, my wife, and our old worship leader, Jacob, we went on a trip. We went to uh, Inside Elevation, the conference, and we went to North Carolina, and we went to Waffle House, which is what you do in the South. I don't care if it tastes good or not. That's not the point. You just go to Waffle House for the experience to meet the people of Waffle House. That's why you go to Waffle House. It's the people, all right? And you go not at a normal time. So we went at midnight. That's when you go to Waffle House because that's when the best people are at work. And so we just had a great time. Well, on the trip flying back, we had a layover in Chicago. We get on the plane from Chicago. And then uh, Pastor Meese and Jacob, they sat in the row in front of me. And then my wife always likes the window seat, okay, because then she can just kind of lean up against the window and just go to sleep, all right? So she leaned up against the window, and I'm in the middle, which I don't mind. It's not a big deal being in the middle. But then there's that extra seat, and this is pre-COVID, so you know uh, Southwest is going to put somebody in that seat. So somebody sits right down next to you, and I was going to do the polite things before I put in my AirPods is to say hello, it's just polite. I know some people just totally ignore the person, you know. And I'm like, well, we got a four-hour flight. We're going to cover about 1,800 miles together, you know. Like, hey, I should at least say hello. So as I'm about to put my AirPods in my ear, I said, hey, hello. And I'm going like this. And he said, hey, how are you? What's your name? And I was like, Micaiah. And, you know, just, just uh, that's enough. I just meant to say Hi. I know I'm a pastor, supposed to be friendly and evangelize, but that's not what I want to do. Pets 2 had came out, and I was like, I'm going to watch Pets 2. And I was putting in my earbuds. And this guy named Daniel proceeded to just start talking and just talking and talking. And Pastor Meese in front of me is laughing because he knows I got all this work I was planning on doing. And he's just chuckling. And him and Jacob are just like laughing. And Jane was no help whatsoever. I was like, can she talk to me, get me out of this? Daniel just kept talking and talking and talking. And I'm like, we're over Des Moines. He's still talking. We're over Utah. He's still talking. Colorado, he's still talking. We're two hours into this flight, and this guy is still talking. Finally, I was like, I know what will shut him up. How do you feel about religion? Yeah. I was like, I'm going to break out that card, and I'm going to start witnessing to good old Daniel. I was like, you know you're going to hell, don't you? Yeah. I just wanted him to shut up. I didn't care if I offended him at that point. I was like, I just need to catch up on some stuff I need to work on. And so immediately Daniel said, I'm an agnostic. Well, I'm already mad at this point. So I said, that's a cop-out. That just means you're undecided. That's all that means. When somebody says they're an agnostic, it just means that they haven't really thought about it. And it sounds intellectual. It sounds like, oh, I'll say I'm an agnostic. Except for I actually know what an agnostic definition actually means. And so then I just went after him. And I started for the next couple hours just to share the gospel with this guy who worked at a tech company in Palo Alto. And I began to witness to Daniel and just share with Daniel. And you know what? When we landed in San Jose, you know what happened with Daniel? 
it doesn't matter what happened. You say, why? My job and your job is not to save people. It's to speak to people about Jesus. You and I don't do the saving. We are simply the vessel that God says, I'm going to use you because you're on a plane sitting next to Daniel and you're going to talk to Daniel and you let me take care of what happens to Daniel. You just plant that seed. You're just going to show up in his life. But right now I notice what a lot of Christians like to do is we like to put in our AirPods and I know they say they're noise canceling, but we actually know they're people canceling because you put that in, that's the code. Don't talk to me. And some of you parents trying to do it and your kids don't get the memo. You're like, this is no kid zone. This is just mom and her iced tea that spiked, you know. It's just, just, I need my time, you know. And so you're, you're you're just trying to block everybody else out. And the church has been blocking people out. And we've just said, hey, we're going to hunker down. We're going to close our doors. I went to a church one time. I won't say who, but I went to the church, and they had a service. My wife and I, we walk up to the door. The door was literally locked. And I was like, I see people in there, and the doors were literally locked. And they said, well, yeah, we know who's coming to church. And then we locked the door because it's a dangerous neighborhood. I said, but you didn't know I was coming. You, you didn't know I was coming. I had to bang on the door to say, hey, let me in. And that's how Jesus feels when he's knocking at the door of his church saying, hey, I want to save people. I want to see people reach. But what are we doing? We're closing the door. So we, as God's people, need to say, who's my one? Who am I going to reach out to? You see, evangelism is not a calling. It is a command. With your Bibles open to John chapter number 4, let's read a very familiar passage of Scripture. And I'm going to spend the next few precious moments that we have together just pulling these verses apart. And can we begin in verse number 3? The Bible says this, verse number 3. He left Judea. And if you can do me a favor, if you underline your Bible, you make notes in your app, underline Judea and departed again to Galilee. We're going to come back to Judea. Verse 4, but he needed, underline he needed to go through Samaria. Underline Samaria. These are going to be important when we come back to it. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. This is noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me to drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Verse number 11 is the verse... Your unsaved coworker, your unsaved relative, your neighbor, it is what the world that does not know Jesus is asking, where do you get the water that's life-changing? Whether they know it or not, they're looking for it. It's why they turn to uh, overeating. It's why they turn to drugs. It's why they turn to uh, uh, sexual perverse things. It's why they turn to consumerism, materialism. It's why they are so driven in their job because they're looking for living water. They're looking for something that satisfies. They're looking to fill that void and they're asking the question and the church is like this. Nope. Canceling everybody else out. And yet the world is saying, where's the living water? And here we are just drinking away on Sunday. And then we think, mmm, that is good. I'll come back next Sunday, Pastor, and I'll get some more of that living water. And God's like, no, you don't understand. I'm here to turn you inside out. So you to take that water and to go to share it with somebody else. But yet the church, we've kind of become hoarders. They're like, all this is mine. There's not enough for my lost neighbors. But then we'll get in our life group. We'll say, oh, pray for my neighbor. Man. You smell that marijuana coming from over the fence? As a matter of fact, you're stressed out. Let's go over here and let's breathe in deep. Yeah, okay, just lower the stress a little bit. I feel a little bit better, you know. Oh, man, if you knew my boss, oh, man, this person's like this and this. And it's funny. We will talk about them, but we will never talk to them about Jesus. The one thing that could change them. 
You complain about your job. You complain about your marriage. You complain about your relationship. You complain about your neighbors. But yet, when are you going to say, you know what? I can complain or I can talk about Jesus because Jesus is good at changing people. I can't change him, but Jesus can change this person. And so the world is asking, where is that living water? And the church is just kind of like, I don't know. What do you mean? You don't know. You have all this influence on social media in your neighborhood, and yet people are crying out. When you see somebody that is doing things, you say, I don't understand why they do that. They're crying out for living water. They're looking for something. Verse 12. And the woman said this, Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of the water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. I love verse number 4. Because the Bible says, but he needed to go to Samaria. You would think the verse would read, there's a woman in Samaria who needs me to go there. You would think that's how the verse should be worded, wouldn't you? It just doesn't make sense that Jesus, think about it, he's God incarnate. Total God, total man has need of nothing. If he wants it, he can create it. So why does Jesus have a need? You see, we can't just let a verse just come across our, uh, the pages of Scripture. We just think, I don't know. No, no, no. Jesus says, I need to go to Samaria, and you would think it'd be different. You would think the woman would be thinking, hey, I need Jesus to come to Samaria. But instead, Jesus is saying, no, I need to go to Samaria because Jesus had a one. Jesus said, there is someone there that needs me, and not just that they need me. Here's what's crazy. Jesus said, I need them. This verse and this passage of scripture is all about how Jesus had a need versus a want. You see, if you want to see your neighbors change, if you want to see your spouse change, if you just want to, that's not enough. Want is not enough. You have to have a need. And the church has lost its need to see people saved. We've lost the need. We want to see people saved. We want to see them baptized. We want to see our life grew full. We want to see the world change, but we don't need it. And that's the problem. We want it, and we will complain and moan and whine and, and make problems on social media. Oh, this world's so crazy, going to hell in a handbasket. Then do something about it. I don't know why I'm doing Cookie Monster this morning. No idea why. But isn't it interesting that the church, that's where we're at? We just think it's a want. Now, that would be nice to see some people saved. No, it's a need. Jesus clearly lays it out in this passage. I'll fast forward down the road because the disciples come back with food, and they say, Jesus, eat some food. And Jesus says, I have meat that you know not of. And they were like, who gave him a McDonald's order? Like, where did he get the food, you know? And, and, and he said, no, my meat is to do the will of my Father. That's where I satisfy the need, and that's where I meet my cravings is when I do God's will. That's what I need to do. You see, our children will talk about, I need some Jordans. Our children may talk about, I need an Xbox. I need a car. I need a cell phone. And we all step back as parents and say, no, that's a want. You don't need it. You can have my old Nokia. It still works. Good old Nokia. And go find yourself a singular store and see if it'll still work. That's what you, if you really have a need. And so we, we confuse the need and the want, but Jesus is clarifying that the church, once again, needs to get back to having a need. The, the word for need means a deep binding. The Greek word is die. It's, it's not die physically, but it's the Greek word pronounced die. And it means to be bound to it, that you just have this thing that just ties you to it, that you have to do it. Some of you understand that drive. It's what keeps you going. You're like, I don't understand why I just have to do things like this, but just how God made me. And Jesus is saying, I'm bound. I'm driven I need to reach people how important it is to you to make a difference in someone's life is it a want or a need do you get to do it have to do it or do you need to do it I think too often we I maybe get to 
I might have to, but rarely do I meet somebody who says, man, i got to go need. I need to reach somebody. i got to tell somebody about Jesus. My day is not complete. You know, that's where the Christian movement really moved is when we had Christians who said, I need to reach people for the gospel. I need to tell people about Jesus. I can't go to sleep tonight without telling somebody about Jesus. There was a man, a missionary to India. His name was John Hyde. John Hyde had a prayer. He said, Lord, give me one person each day. Let me reach just one person for Christ. I just have to reach one for Christ. And he would stay on his knees and he would pray and he would pray and he would pray. And then he would go out to the streets of India. And then he would start to witness until he was able to lead one person to Christ. And he would not come home until one person was one to Christ. At the end of that first year in India, he won, won over 400 people, made a profession of salvation because John Hyde said, I need to see somebody saved. You see, the church has lost its need. You see, the church has got comfortable and complacent saying, hey, it's all right uh, if we don't reach anybody. My friend, the church exists to see people saved. The Bible says this in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Matthew 16, I read it this morning in my devotions. Matthew 16, Jesus said, I am come that men might be saved. There's another verse. The Bible says, and God is not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. It is God's will that people be saved, and we are God's instrument to lead them to. So we have to be about the business of saying, who's my one? It's a low bar to say, who's your one? We're going to talk about next week, why does God send people to hell? Come back next week, and we're going to talk about the one. Come back. Don't miss it. You say, God sends people to hell? I'm telling you, just come back. <laughs> Jesus is the way, John 14, 6. He went out of his way to go to Samaria, but he didn't see people as in his way. And in the Bay Area, that's a hard thing, isn't it? People are just in the way. And that's the problem. Jesus, who said, I am the way, who was willing to go out of his way, never saw anybody as in his way. As a matter of fact, he said, suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. The disciples are trying to keep the children away from Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 let them come. You see, here in this day and age, we're so focused on this thing and that thing and this thing. We need to stop and say, hey, there's some work that may not get done, but there's people work to do. I say it to our team at the church. I say, hey, ministry is people work, not paperwork. Although we do paperwork, although there's stuff that we just have to do, these lights did not hang themselves. Sometimes you just have little work that you're just saying, hey, I, I don't just sit and pray all day and listen to angels play their harps. There's work that we do. You see, you've heard of the good Samaritan. Meet the bad Samaritan, this woman. She's a bad Samaritan, not a good Samaritan. And Jesus is going to lay into her past a little bit. Because what I know about people is that often people, they're told, I'm a good person. And you may have good actions, but we're not good people. And that rubs us wrong, doesn't it? You see, Jesus didn't die to make good people better. He died to bring dead people to life. That's the difference. And if you think Jesus just came to make good people better, you miss the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He died conquering death, therefore making it an example, making a way for you and I to have everlasting life. It's his example. It's what he did. And so Jesus is going to share with this woman because she thinks she's a good person. and She knows some religious things. And she's going to start talking to Jesus about this hill and Jacob and a temple. And notice what Jesus says to her in verse number 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. That's kind of like, I mean, a tough situation. Now, Jesus, he knows all. And if any of you grew up in the church, you know this story. Here's a woman that uh, she was actually just burning through relationships. And for Jesus to say, hey, go call your husband. Jesus caught her dead to rights, caught her in her biggest area of dysfunction. And notice what he says in verse 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now are with is not your husband. In that you have spoken truly. And then the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she goes on, verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. She tries to get spiritual. 
Jesus is not interested in you and I trying to be spiritual. Jesus wants you and I to see that our sin leads to death. And people will tell you, why does God send people to hell? That's not it. Understand that we are dead in our sins, spiritually dead. We are the walking dead, and we need Jesus to point that out to us. And Jesus said, I'm going to touch that one area where this woman's been trying to look for living water, and I'm going to speak to that area. And I noticed that Jesus does something that the church doesn't like to do, and in our conversation with people about spiritual things, we don't like to do it. We don't like to ever allow there to be anything uncomfortable or what I would call conviction set into the confrontation, into the conversation. Even our preaching across the land, we've removed all conviction. Our, our preaching today is very passive, very vanilla. It doesn't call out the church to say, we're wrong. We've gone inward instead of outward, and that's why the world is not changing. It's our fault. I don't blame any politician. I blame me. Judgment must first start at the house of the Lord is what the Bible says. But the church has pointed fingers at everybody else. And the church said, if this would happen and this would change, and it's time we say, no, no, no. If I just started reaching one, and then I go reach another one, and I reach another one, and we'll just see what happens. Let's just see what happens to this world. But yet Jesus, he uses conviction because conviction brings us to the cross. Conviction brings us to that point where we come to the end of ourselves. We have nowhere to hide. It's when you're working with your child. And you ask your child, did you eat the cookies? There's chocolate all over their face. No, I didn't eat the cookies. You're like, I think you did eat the cookies. Let me smell your breath. And they go, Pfft. and you're like, smells like chocolate chip cookies. No, that's the toothpaste that you bought. That's the new, new chocolate chip cookie toothpaste. The dentist recommended it. They like it. Well, what's that on your hands? Your hands got chocolate. I don't know. I was playing in the mud. Well, lick that mud. Mm, that's good mud. It tastes like chocolate chip cookies. Oh, you're right. I, I lied. I did chocolate chip cookies. You lead them through a series of questions. The church no longer leads people through a series of questions. We no longer lead people to the point that there is conviction that the Holy Spirit brings in. It's not a guilt trip. It's not manipula manipulation. It's that you and I are sinners, and Christ died to save sinners. But if you and I are thinking we're good people, we will miss out on salvation. We're not good. We were dead. Jesus makes us alive. So our preaching, our teaching, and our personal witnessing cannot lack conviction. Because if it lacks conviction, we miss out on an opportunity to see a convert. I'm tired of people saying, oh, I was saved, and I ask them, well, tell me about your salvation experience. Oh, yeah, you know, I just, uh, you know, I, just, I just prayed. No, 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 tell me about it, like a little bit more. Do you feel conviction over the weight of your sin? Well, no, I don't, no, no, I just prayed. Do you think that... There was, in, was there any repentance there? You repent of anything? Because too often we've looked at religion and the church has said, oh, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Hmm, not so. It's not a religion. It's a revelation. What is the revelation? That I'm a sinner. I'm dead in my sins. And only Jesus can make me alive. And I need to repent of that. And repentance is a changing of my mind. That I'm in rebellion against God. And God is right in his judging of me because I'm in rebellion towards his love and towards what he has done. And so the church has to get back to saying, no, it wasn't just a name and claim and easy believism. If you've talked to any woman who's ever given birth, they just say, oh yeah, it was super easy. The baby just slid right out. Most natural, wonderful experience. It was beautiful. No, everyone was like, Man, I was either going to murder the child or the person who made the child and put the, you know, the, man, the child's father. It's like, come here, let me squeeze your hand right off. Childbirth is called labor, is it not? So if it takes 12 hours to birth a human, how much longer do you think it takes for the new birth, the spiritual birth to happen? You think there's no labor pains? You, you just think that just comes easy? You think Jesus just went to a cross and just kind of skipped on his way? Hey, just going to the cross. It's all good. Jazz hands. No. The Bible says he stumbled under the weight of that. The Bible says the capillaries in his forehead burst because of the pressure that he knew he was about to face for you and for me. And for you and I to kind of think somehow that we were good enough, that almighty, sinless, perfect, spotless son of God, just kind of was an easy thing for him to die for us. What a slap in the face to an almighty God. No, there, there's, there's a reckoning. That needs to happen in the church. We need to understand what exactly took place when Jesus took our place. But yet we've lost sight of that. And if the church doesn't recapture it here and now, 
Unless right here and now the church changes something, that we say, no, I've got to see this thing as different, and I've got to change, our world is going to continue to go on this track that's just downward and disgusting and it's vile. And we deserve it because the church is just saying, hey, we're inside of focused. Let's just kind of hunker down. Just kind of wait till that building's built and we'll just kind of hide and dodge. No, no, it is time for the child of God to say, no, I need to reach people for Christ. I need to find my one. I need somebody. But yet, too often, we're woefully silent. And maybe it's because we actually just don't think Christianity's real. Let's hit that one for a second. Because there's a part of us in this area, and I talk to a lot of people, and when I know somebody doesn't go to church and they weren't brought up in Christian home, I, it's not that I start out to judge, but I just find out where people are at. And more often than not, I will even find some religious people, people that come to church, if you press them a little bit on what this Bible says, they will say, hmm, really? I don't know. Were you there? I don't know. Is this really true? C.S. Lewis a great apologist of the past said this. He said, if Christianity is false, then it's of no importance. But if it's true, it's of infinite importance. You see, there is no middle ground on this thing with the Bible, Christianity, and God, and salvation. There is no gray area. It is clearly black and white. It is clear. It is, it is either true or it's false. It's either heaven or hell. There is no in-between, and the church is trying to find this little meandering, let's make it comfortable. You know, you're going to have a good 70, 80 years, just kind of have, have a good time. And I don't want to judge. I just want you to be comfortable on your journey. I'm not here to judge your journey. You know, you do you, boo, and uh, you live your best life, and it's all good. And, and, and hopefully we see each other on the other side, and we'll high five then. My friend, why would you leave the greatest decision in the world up to the flip of a coin. Why would you not say, hey, I'm going to get this thing settled. I'm going to get it settled for my family. I want to know if my children are saved, my grandchildren, my relatives, my husband, my neighbors, my coworkers. Everybody around me needs to know about Jesus, and I need to tell them. It's not that I want to tell them. It's I need to tell them. I'm responsible because Jesus put me in their life. Every person you encounter, it could be the person who their car just needed to jump. God didn't allow their engine to stop just because they needed to jump or because you wanted to maybe get a date with that person. It's because Jesus wanted a date. Jesus wants to change their life. Jesus wants to do something, and he's putting you and I in these people's paths. You say, I don't know if I can do that, Pastor. It's very easy. It's so easy. Let's continue reading. Skip down to verse 29. The Bible says, the woman, she realizes that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way. And so verse 29, I love what she says. She says she runs back into the city of Samaria because she now is confronted. She now knows that I need to be saved. So she runs back into the city. Verse 29 says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And the people and the men of the city said, yeah, I bet there's a man that knows everything you've ever done. You've been with a lot of us. You, get, you kind of get around. You was known. <laughs> Had to wake up some of you. You can see who the one that are still growing spiritually. Those are all the baby Christians laughing. The rest of you are too dignified. The Bible says, could he possibly be the Messiah? Verse 30. So the people came streaming from the village to see him, him as Jesus. Why did she go to the men of the city? Why did the men of the city? Let's talk about the elephant in the room. They knew her, so she went to who she knew first and told them about Jesus. She went to who she knew. Sounds vulgar. Maybe she went to her clients. Like, hey, I, you guys are the worst of the sinners. I'm going to you first. You need it. I'm coming to you, and then you're going to go tell your wife. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm posting on Facebook. Or I'm going to text her. She went to who she knew. 
I feel conviction right there because I don't go to who I know. I live in a cul-de-sac, so I know all my neighbors. But if I witness to them, I know them. I go to the same Starbucks. The dude knows my name. I don't know his name. He thinks he knows my name, but I use a fake name every time I get my coffee because Makai is too hard to spell. And so they know me. Am I witnessing to them? I go work out at a gym. Do, they, do those people know? Do the people that I see, does my barber know? They're the people that I know, but have I told them? And you say, well, I don't know what to say. What, do what she did. Come and see. That's it. You see, go back to my first illustration, Daniel and the airplane. I don't do the saving. You don't do the saving. It's bringing them to Jesus. Now, the problem is most Christians only bring Christians to church. That's the reality of it. You usually only invite, they call it a warm market in the marketing world. Like, hey, go to your friends. It's kind of the pyramid scheme. Get all your relatives involved first. And we kind of start there, and that's not wrong. It's not wrong. But we usually stop with that. But you know more people than that's just in your family. You have relatives, friends, coworkers. There's people in your influence. And what we're saying is, hey, they could be your one and tell them, just come and see. Because that testimony was all that they needed. You see, evangelism is simply that. But then I thought about this. Maybe, maybe the reason you and I don't tell people about Jesus is the same reason why we don't talk to strangers. Because we don't know them. And if you don't know Jesus... Do you think you're going to introduce anybody to somebody you don't know? Ooh, that hits. Let that land. Let that settle for a second. That we call ourselves the church, the bride of Christ, the people that should know him the best. And we can't introduce people to King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And you know why? It's because we don't know him. I was talking about that Waffle House I went to. The person that was cooking up our eggs had the cigarette with the ashes that I was just like, it's going to drop. It's going to drop right over my eggs. That's the seasoning right there. Yeah! It's like winning something, you know? And it's got that cigarette hanging there and it's just kind of like, you know, Willie Nelson sat in that seat that you sat in. And I was like, oh, really? Willie Nelson sat here? Well, it looked like Willie Nelson. <laughs> it wasn't Willie Nelson. But isn't it funny? This person, I didn't know them from anybody. But who did they want to talk to me about? Somebody we both knew. Somebody they knew. You're going to talk about Garoppolo. You're going to talk about J-Lo. You're going to talk about Aflac and all these people. You're going to talk about politicians and movie stars and your friends and these people. You have no problem telling people about it. But when it comes to talking about Jesus, who you say in life group is my best friend. You tell people he's your best friend. You even have a cross keychain around your neck. You even have a Bible verse tattooed on your backside. I hope not. That'd be weird. And yet, you don't actually tell people Hey, come and see. The next five weeks, we're just going to be telling people about Jesus every Sunday. And you could say, that's good. I'll be back in four or five weeks, and that's fine. But I'm trying to challenge us, church, who's our one? And let me give it to you simple. Invest in someone. We're going to make it easy. For every first-time guest that you bring to church, we're going to give you and your guests a gift card because we want you to go out to eat with them. And we want you to open up the Bible and not just enjoy your Applebee's, we want you to say, hey, you know, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross to save you. What do you think is going to happen with your eternal destiny? You plan for everything else. But if you plan for that, and it's time that we sit down and have conversation, and you stop saying, oh, I'll let somebody else do that. And we get back to the point where we say, no, I have a need. 
Jesus said this in the same passage, do not say there are yet still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say, lift up your eyes and look under the fields for they are white already to harvest. Jesus was telling his disciples, look, the harvest fields are ready. And the harvest was not a wheat field, a grain field, or a potato patch. What he was saying is the people are the harvest and they are ready. Right now, death is on everybody's mind. Everybody's freaking out. Everybody's scared. Everybody doesn't know if they should get one vaccine, two vaccines. Just give me a bunch of vaccines. Just give me all of them. They're wearing masks, two masks, three masks, four masks. They don't know what's going to happen. But yet the greatest threat, and this is what Jesus said, do not fear him who can kill the body. Fear him who can destroy the soul. We're going to spend eternity somewhere. And the answer is heaven or hell. And the reason we're going to talk about both the subjects, because I would, if I was a betting person, I would say many of us do not believe in a literal hell. And I want to break down some of your reasons why I think you are making some assumptions about hell that aren't actually in the word of God. And that's why you just throw hell out. It just makes it easy. You just say, hey, I'll just keep it as a good cuss word because that's great. But otherwise it doesn't really exist. So we invest in people, we invite them, and we introduce them to Jesus. And then we just go and tell. We're out of time. Skip down to verse number 39. I want you to see something real quick. Verse 39 says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed. Many. You see, when Jesus reached one, it never just stays with one. You understand that, right? When Gloria Ibarra got saved, it wasn't just one. There's about 38 and a half Yabaras running around here, all right? It's never just one. I'm sure Jacob and Jillian are gonna have one in the oven soon, you know? It's never just one. Your influence is so far reaching. And so you and I need to say, hey, I'm gonna reach one, but it never was just one. But it's not just many Samaritans. Skip down to verse 41. And the Bible says in verse 41, and many more believed. It wasn't just many, it was many more. You see, Jesus told us in Mark 16, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He repeated it in Matthew 28, and then he repeated it again in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8. And in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8, Jesus gave some very clear instructions. He said this, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, catch this, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you remember when I started this message, I said, underline Judea, underline Samaria? Do you know where Jesus was right before he got here? He was in Jerusalem. You know what Jesus is doing? Before he ever told his disciples to do it, he said, I'm preaching at Jerusalem the next day. I'm in Judea the next day, Samaria. And you know what the Samaritans told him? They said, hey, you're the king of the uttermost. He said, hey, that's right, I'm just going. So when he told you and I that commandment, he had already been doing it. Jesus never calls you and I to something that he would never enable us to do. Jesus said, I was doing it in this passage and I'll give you the Holy Spirit's power. You don't witness alone, you don't witness by yourself because Jesus wants to see him saved. So you just find your Daniel, take the AirPods out of your ear and you say hello to that person and you just tell him Jesus loves you. I take these little invitations right here, who's your one? And I say, hey, I wanna invite you to church. This is a, a, a little invitation, and I want you to know God loves you. If you want to know more, come to church on Sunday. Just leave that there. People are just, wow, God loves me? Find out more? It's so easy to witness to people. It's so easy to share your faith. Desmond Doss is a person that many of us are probably familiar with from a movie by Mel Gibson called Hacksaw Ridge. He's the first conscientious objector that went into battle with no firearm, no nothing. And there was a retreat happening in Japan. And during the retreat, the Americans were getting slaughtered. They had to climb down this cliff. And Desmond Doss was a nurse, and he had this desire to climb back up and to rescue these men and the, under the cover of darkness. And it's recorded, and I've got a picture of Desmond Doss. If we could put it up on the notes, I'd, love, I'd appreciate that. And Desmond Doss won a Congressional Medal of Honor for not firing a single shot. And over 12 hours, he would go back up this cliff, rescue one person, come back down, go back up, grab another person, and rescue. Over 12 hours, he saved 74 American lives. 
It's incredible. All the while, Desmond Doss was praying, Lord, give me one more. He was a strong man of faith. He said, Lord, just one more. Just let me save one more. Just let me save one more life. Just let me meet one more. What if you and I had the faith and courage of a Desmond Doss and just said, hey, God, just give me one more. Just let me see one more neighbor. Let me just see one more coworker. Just give me one more day. I don't need to win the lottery. I don't need to be famous. But let me reach my children and my grandchildren and my neighbor. Lord, help me to populate heaven and depopulate hell. Help me to make San Jose a hard place to go to hell from. I want to see more people saved because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. And it's up to you and I. We are not calling. Evangelism is not a calling. It is a command. And the church has to be once again turned inside out. And over the next five weeks, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to get involved. Here's what I want you to do. Everybody hold out your card, please. And this card is perforated. And I want you to write a name on that card. And our church is going to start praying with you on this card. I want you to put somebody's name that you're praying with. You say, hey, I want to see this. This is my one. This is the one I want to see saved over the next five weeks. Every Sunday in October, we are going to be praying over these names. We're going to take it into the office, and we're going to pray for your one. And then at the end of these five weeks, we're going to have a baptism service. And we're praying that they get saved and they get baptized. And wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that just tick the devil off to see a bunch of people saved, see them baptized, see them discipled, see them growing? So I've got my one. I've been working on my one for a long time. When I, I met with uh, Mike Dabrowski at Starbucks and my one walked by and I said, that's my one right there. He don't know it yet. He told me a while ago, he's like, I'm an atheist, you know that. And then last week he said, well, I'm, a, I'm an agnostic now. I was like, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. I'm working, I'm wearing him down. So who's your one? And I want you to put down that one and then when God gives you one, you don't have to stop with Here's the other question. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as your one. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died so that you don't have to. Let me tell it to you like this. Everyone who's died is alive. You say, that's a contradiction. No. Your physical body is going to die. Your soul is not. That's eternal. It's alive. Everyone who's ever died is still alive. Either alive in heaven or alive in hell. That's the place it is. Now, I would think of the greatest tragedy that somebody come to our church, Southridge Church, which we are here to meet the needs of our city. And the greatest need of our city is not just food. It's not just money. It's not just uh, solving problems. It's that people know Jesus and the people not here how to be saved. So this morning, you say, I want to repent of my sins. God has called me out. He's convicted me. I remember when I needed to receive Jesus Christ. I was a 14-year-old boy, and I remember the weight of conviction at 14. I couldn't sleep at night. Our house was a horseshoe shape. My parents' house, my parents' bedroom on one side and mine on the other. I remember waking up in the middle of the night in just a cold sweat, just thinking, I know that if I were to die tonight, I would not wake up in heaven. I'd wake up in hell. And it shook me. At 14, I just couldn't deal with it. I remember walking over to my parents' bedroom, and I remember putting my hand to the door about to wake them up in the middle of the night and say, hey, I can't sleep because I am scared to death and rightly so of hell. And some of us are like, oh, no, don't scare people with hell. No, no, we don't have to scare people. We just need to let them know the reality of hell and how they can escape it. Man, I was just think I couldn't bring myself to know. And then I grew up in Old Baptist Church, and so uh, that Easter Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, I couldn't focus on the message. But then Sunday night, I said, I can't deal with the conviction. Man, when that altar call hit, it was the first one there. I said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not running anymore at 14. How much sin had I really committed? But yet the weight that I was dead, not just bad, I was dead and lost without Christ. And then the reality hit me and I received Jesus Christ. And the weight that was lifted. The next day I went to school, I wanted to tell everybody that I was a child of God, that I was getting baptized. I wanted other people to know. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand to your feet, please? 
Maybe this morning you're the one and we want to pray with you. You say, Pastor, if I were to die right now, right here, I don't know if I'd wake up in heaven or hell. And today I want you to be sure of where you'd spend eternity. This is not a high pressure sale. This is it. The Holy Spirit's working on you. I don't save anybody. Only Jesus does. You say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to settle the matter once and for all. I'm done running. I'm done hiding. But I want to receive Jesus Christ as my gift of salvation. And you say, that's me. Would you slip up your hand with everybody else head bowed? You say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I see that hand in the back. Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. God bless you. Six hands going up. We haven't done this in a long time, but we're going to do this together. I see that hand. God bless you. You may put your hands down. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray for the benefit of those that are coming to God for the first time and those that are coming back to God after a long time. I'm going to pray out loud. Would you repeat after me? And we're going to do this for the benefit of everybody. We'll all pray together out loud. And it's not the words that save. It's with the heart man believes unto salvation. Let's pray. Please repeat after me. Dear God, I repent of my sin. I'm tired of running from you. I want to receive you into my heart. Cleanse me with the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you for giving me new life in Christ. I receive you now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, would you slip up your hands? We want to celebrate with you. If you just prayed that prayer, let's celebrate with those that just asked Jesus Christ in their heart. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.